I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's episode is with the author of the book called Bridge to Growth. His name is Jude Rake and he's also the founder and CEO of JDR Growth Partners, a leadership consultant firm. He previously served in leadership roles including CEO on three occasions, president, COO and CMO. He built and led leadership teams that fueled significant improvements in workforce engagement and resulted in some of the world's best-run companies. He has a range of experience from owning family-owned businesses to private equity-backed businesses. He's also served on six boards of directors, and he's been recognized for leadership, creativity, marketing, excellence with Silo, Mobius, and FE Awards. He's received the Berman Award for Innovation, and he was named a Top 100 Marketer twice by Advertising Age. He's simply a legend in the, in the leadership industry, um, and he's here to talk to us about his new book and why we need to focus on a particular type of leadership. Welcome to the show, Jude. Thanks, Dio. It's nice to meet you. I wouldn't call myself a legend, but I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I will I will definitely put you in that category uh, just because of, of um, what you've done so far. But before we get into the, the meat of the, the conversation on what leadership is today and the bridge to growth, the book. Can you talk to us about how you got to the level where you were leading all these companies? Uh, well, it was not a conventional path, that's for sure. Um, I did not set out to uh, to be a CEO or, or even a leader, uh, really. I mean, I just uh, uh, from the, from the early days of uh, pretty humble roots, frankly. I mean, my my dad left when I was six years old. Um, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, she worked in a factory driving a forklift for 43 years in the same factory. She waited tables at night to make ends meet, and I started working when I was eight. Uh, so from her, I really learned uh, to, to work hard and, and have a strong work ethic and show up and do your best, and and I thank her for that. She, she really uh, didn't go to college, had, uh, had a pretty meager education, but you know, the other thing she taught me was to surround myself with really good people uh, and, and, and they'll make you stronger. And she connected me with some good coaches and some good mentors. And and uh, I've been very fortunate to have their guidance through my through my life and through my career. And 
Um, one thing led to another. I was an engineer out of Purdue and did a pretty good job there. So I got into graduate school at Chicago and got my MBA and, and kind of worked my way through my career. But like I said, I didn't really set out to be a CEO as much as just to learn and grow and, and do a good job and, 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 and try to have a positive influence on other people's lives and surround myself with other people who would make me better and, and things happen to, to work out for me. Yeah. No. And um, what about the down uh, the down parts? And you talked about single parents, and obviously that that gave you some um, sense of strength to just watch how your amazing mother was able to to raise you. But I'm curious. You know, you said you had the unconventional path, but did you encounter a lot of failures on your way to to leadership? And if so, how did you overcome them? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we learn the most from skinning our knees, right? I mean, those are the, the moments if you're open to the learning when you when you learn the most. So certainly I've had my share of, of failures in my career um, and, and and throughout my life. And and in each of those, I just tried to, to learn as much as I could. I was fortunate that I, I worked at some pretty good companies that gave me the good training that I needed to be open minded to those kind of experiences. Um you know, in my life, we've, I've had a few failed product launches and a few uh, situations that were that were tough to overcome as a kid growing up. But just kind of focused on, you know, what, what I can do to make things better and, and keep learning and growing. And and, and and things worked out. And I had more successes than failures, fortunately. Absolutely. No, I love that. And that's true. You learn the most from definitely skidding your, your knees. So staying on that, you know, skidding your knees theme. Um, and leadership overall, why do you feel like uh, the bar for leaders has to be raised uh, today? Because um, the workforce has changed so much. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned that when I showed up for work, I was taught to work, work as hard as I could and good things would happen. And it was pretty simple. Um, I raised my kids who are millennials now uh, to look for meaning and purpose in their life and, 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 and do something that's really going to have an impact on society and bring you a good sense of, uh, of, of, of being a good human being. And, and I think millennials in general are looking for that in the workforce. And so leaders can't just expect people to be happy to have a job like, you know, in, in our day, when my day growing up and, um, they, they, they really have to answer some really important questions. People, people in the workforce want to know what is our purpose? Where are we going as an organization? Is it meaningful? Um, and then they want to know how can I influence that direction? Can I make a real difference here? Because I want to make a difference and tell me what our plan is and, uh, what is my role? How can I help us achieve it? And how can I help us win? And if the leader can't deliver that, uh, people are more uh, than willing to move on to to another place. I mean, I moved throughout my career uh, quite a bit, so I can kind of relate to that. I, even though I work for some great companies and some great leaders, as soon as the learning curve started started to flatten for me, even if I was doing well and getting the highest performance reviews, um, I was more than willing to move on to the next challenge because I felt like that was the best way to learn and grow. And I think you see more and more of that especially in the millennial generation. And as more women move into management, uh, the management ranks, uh, the, the concepts of emotional intelligence, uh, empathy, putting yourself in other people's shoes, taking the time to provide the context people need to change and grow. Those, those, those concepts are becoming more and more important. So the leadership bar has definitely been raised. Yeah, no, I mean, I love what you're saying. I'm a millennial. So you know, I, I love when we finally get positive narratives, but you're, you're talking about, uh, 
you basically say millennials have higher expectations of the leaders uh, because they are raised to seek meaning and purpose in their jobs. Yep. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And then that's the whole premise of what this podcast is. And, you know, the essence is to build the next set of global leaders. But, you know, when I was talking to, uh, to Jeff, who's, um, who pitched your book to me, he, he had mentioned that there are recent studies by reputable firms uh, such as Gallup, Towers, Watson, Deloitte, that reveal how um, low levels of workforce engagement is at many companies. People don't know how their work connects with their company goals or understand how they can achieve them. And he pointed this out to say that leaders have failed to fully engage with work as in the development and execution of the company's mission and goals. How can we change that? Well, it's a bit, actually a big part of what I do. Um, after my last CEO role, I actually started my own leadership consulting firm, and, and I work with uh, family-owned companies mostly, but boards of directors and CEOs and their leadership teams uh, to develop uh, their, their strategic plan, their vision for the future, uh, and their goals, their objectives, goals, strategies, and measures. But we don't just do it in, a, in an ivory tower or just among the executives. I actually had developed a process about 25 years ago when I was working up at SC Johnson Wax in Wisconsin um, of, of engaging the broader workforce in the development of the plan. It takes a little bit longer. But the nice thing about it is when the plan is rolled out, there's a, there's a higher level of ownership. Uh, I also find that the plans are more realistic. Um, and whenever it comes time to execute them, they're more executable because you've gotten input from a, a larger group of people who in some cases are on the front lines. Um, and, and so when you go to implement it, there's a, there's a higher level of success. I mean, I've seen plans, frankly, that they weren't that strong that, that actually deliver better results because you had more people engaged in the outcome. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think engagement is often the key. I mean, to inclusion, to collaboration, to many things in leadership element of companies. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, Deloitte's been talking about this for quite some time, you know, to go beyond engagement, right? I mean, mm -hmm. these studies that you're citing are showing that, that the level of engagement in, in, in the average company, and I'm not saying everybody's, you know, the, the same, but, but in the average company, somewhere between 20 and 30%. And what I like about what Deloitte's been talking about is how do you go even beyond engagement to real passion for what you're doing? And and when I was a, a CEO, I used to tell my leadership team that I kind of walk around looking at everybody so they have, remember the AT&T bars? I don't know if you're old enough to remember this. People were walking around with five bars, three bars, two bars. What was yeah. their, their signal? I looked at them with two sets of bars. One is what are their, what's their capacity? What are they actually capable of? And then the other set of bars was how good a job are we doing as leaders at tapping into that capacity? And I made it clear to all anybody who supervised, anybody in our company, that that was their number one goal was developing the, those capacities and those capabilities, but also are we doing everything we can to stretch and tap into those capabilities? And I mm -hmm. think that is a really vital part of leadership. Yeah, no, I, I love that, and, and that's you know that's that's uh, something that miss, that's missing in everyday work. I also work with a lot of workplaces with my business partner. We go into uh, places to talk about inclusive leadership, diversity, inclusion. And a lot of times what I do find is that there is often this big disconnect with the company's mission and goals as well as the uh, the workers. A lot of times, you know, they, they go in there feeling like they just have to fill in the eight hours. It doesn't really have any meaning for them beyond those eight hours. Um, and they don't have a role in the larger context of things. And we, we, we saw that with Uber recently where, you know, the CEO obviously had 
experienced explosive growth, but you know, part of Travis's uh, uh, reputation is that he didn't necessarily treat people like people. It was more uh, as a, I need to you know achieve this this um, uh, numerical goal, and I'm going to do what I can to get there. And in the process, yeah. he lost sight of some of the people he was uh, leading. Yeah, <clears throat> and you often see hear people cite uh, you know situations like that before they happen, saying, "Well, wait a minute, you don't have to be." You don't have to do this to be successful. There are plenty of examples of companies who are doing really well, who don't treat people well or don't practice servant leadership. Um, <clears throat> but eventually, you know, I think the focus on short-term gain at the expense of, of long-term values and principles and, and character, uh, karma has its way eventually. And Uber's a great example where, yeah. you know, it, 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 it came back, right? And, you know, back to your question, though, in those same studies, they found that, job satisfaction was actually quite high. And, and that's why I think that's a bad measure um, because people might be satisfied, to your point, because they, they have a place to go uh, to, to make money, to put food on the table. They have a place to check their email or check their Facebook or uh, they have a community of people. But, but as leaders, you know, our bar has to be higher, right? I mean, we, we, I think, you know, in my book, and Chapter three gets at how do you develop a strategic plan? How do you develop a plan for growth? The early chapters are about that. How do you develop leaders? In the back end, chapters six through nine really get into how do we go beyond engagement to really developing fire in the belly, really getting people stoked about helping your organization exceed your expectations and your goals. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Well, let's talk about the the meat of of, this podcast, which is your book. Uh, the bridge to growth. What is the book about? What are you focusing on? And uh, why is it so important now? It's about how servant leaders uh, achieve better results and why it matters now more than ever, which we we, we were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about bringing out the best in other people. Uh, not just the people you lead, but your partners, everybody you work with, customers, but but especially the people that you're responsible for leading. How do you How do you focus on bringing out the best in them and your stakeholders, the people you work with, as, as a leader, that's a key a key role. And there there are nine principles in the book. Uh, the first one's all about growing leaders and difference makers, not just followers. The second principle is all about building and orchestrating synergistic, high performance teams. <coughs> Excuse me, my allergies are killing me. <laughs> the, the third one is. Um, is about focusing your organization on strategic priorities and, and simplifying things so people can focus where it matters most. The fourth one's about championing the people who purchase and use your products or your services, basically customers and consumers, making sure that everybody's externally focused on them and not too internally focused. The fifth one's about cultivating a performance-based culture of innovation that unleashes the innate desire in people to lead and solve and create and contribute to winning. The sixth one's all about communicating, doing everything you can to give people the context they need to drive transformational change. The seventh one's about emotional intelligence and seeing the world through other people's eyes. The eighth one's all about integrity and being the model you want emulated, you know, operating transparently, delivering on your promises. And then the ninth one is about coaching people to achieve more than they ever thought possible. Wow. Uh, and that, that's one I have a lot of passion around because I've I've been coaching youth athletics since my college days, and there's nothing more rewarding to me than seeing people with that aha moment that they achieved something that they even didn't think was possible. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. definitely a gratifying feeling. 
I, I, and obviously, if you want to learn more about this, make sure you grab the book. The book is called uh, The Bridge to Growth. But I'm very, very curious, though. I want to peel and talk about that coaching element, but I also want to talk about the emotional intelligence. That's the one that stood out to me the most, basically seeing it through other people's lenses. Obviously, as someone like me who grew up in multiple locations, this is... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Something that's important to me because I, you know, I had to develop some level of emotional intelligence at an early age just so I could fit in. It wasn't even necessarily as a, as a way to, to stand out. It was more just for me to be able to be able to actually interact. Um, I'm curious, though, with the advent of, well, we've always had globalization, but with the rapid um, globalization movement and the um, digital media that's in place right now, how can companies incorporate this emotional intelligence piece into their, uh, their fabric? Well, as an individual, you know, I get this question all the time is, you know, can emotional intelligence be be developed? And uh, I've taken probably just about every assessment there is, psychological assessment there is. And and I think back all the way to my college days when we took the Myers-Briggs and they said, well, you know, this is who you are and it never changes. And I never really bought into that because I, I think we're such a function of our formative experiences that you can develop and change over time. Even your even your behavioral preferences. And I think emotional intelligence can be developed over time, just like leadership skills can. And the number one way, I think, to develop those skills is to surround yourself with people who who have them and and really learn from them as best you can. I mean, your background is uh, is amazing. I mean, living in, in, I think it was four different country, four different continents, five countries or something. Yeah, that's correct, yes. Uh, I mean, that's a great background for because uh, you, you're kind of forced to put yourself in other people's shoes. You have to learn from them because you're not, you, you're out of your comfort zone. Um, those kinds of experiences. I know when I worked at Pepsi, I worked in 28 different countries. It was really eye, it was really eye opening. Uh, when I first time I went to Argentina, uh, I asked to go on a route run with the, the, the people driving the, the trucks that delivered the Pepsis to the little kiosk and, and, um, None of the guys spoke English that day. So I spent a day with people figuring out how to communicate with them. Uh, that forces you to have some, you got to put yourself in their shoes or you're not going to be able to communicate. So I think anything companies can do to, to, um, to really drive that kind of perspective and, and, and embolden <clears throat> this idea of empathy, it's not sympathy. It's a lot of people hear servant leadership and they think of soft. Uh, leaders can be really driven and competitive and have a super high bar for performance. They can be intense. That doesn't mean they have to be an egotistical jerk. Um, 
you know, I, I had some experience with Pat Summit at one point in my life. A lot of people walk, watch her coach on the sidelines and think, man, she, she, she did everything with an iron fist. That wasn't really true. I mean, she had a lot of love for the people that she dealt with, and she took the time to really put herself in their shoes. And I think that's a really important part of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just love and I'm eager to continue to go through the book. I have a, uh, a copy of it, but I need to uh, to breathe, to continue to read through it um, once I uh, get some time this weekend. But the other thing that I love about what you said is obviously you talked about why this is such a timely book. This is such a timely concept. If we look at the political landscape of things right now in the world, uh, whether it's here in the U.S., whether it's in Europe, whether it's in um, you know Nigeria or other African and Asian countries. Servant leadership is something that needs to be practiced. And, and can you talk about the ways that businesses and governments can learn how to emulate each other in that practice? Because sometimes people like to separate business leadership from actual political leadership. But I think there might be more similarities than we pretend to admit. Yeah, and it's a, <clears throat> a bit of a sticky wicket, right? I mean, it's a, a tough one. I, I, I can't pretend to solve all the world's problems from a pr political standpoint. I can tell you that I'm frustrated as an American with what I see going on in Washington and have been for some time. Um, I think there are some people out there who are into politics for the right reasons. You know, we have Paul Ryan up the road here who's uh, who, who I've, I've come across and, and others who I really do think they want to make a difference and do the right thing. Um, too often, though, I think that uh, uh, self-interest is getting in the way of, of, of compromise. I mean, I look back in time. At, at someone like Ronald Reagan, who I wrote a paper about in the 70s in, at Purdue when I was in college, and kind of followed him through his career as a president. I mean, here's a guy who ideologically disagreed with Tip O'Neill on a regular basis, but they still found time to break bread and spend time together, even with their families, and to find some common ground so they could do uh, some big things for, for our country. And I don't see enough of that right now. Uh, where people are looking beyond their self-interest or the interests of their constituencies to find some common ground that may not be exactly what they want, but at least we can move for, toward, toward progress. And I, I wish I saw more of that. No. Yeah, no, I mean, that's well said. And I, I honestly think if we're ever going to get to a level where we are able to advance in the right way that we can and maximize abilities, we have to learn how to empower, listen, um, and just understand how we work towards a common goal. And, you know, basically being able to articulate each of our roles within that common goal is going to be the best way for us to work there. It's not about stepping over someone's place. It's about understanding that while we're working together, you play a role. It's like sports. And if we work together effectively using our different skill sets, we're going to get to where we need to be. Yeah, I agree. And I think your sports analogy is, is perfect. I use it a lot in my work, uh, having been a, a decent athlete, not a great one, but but I think uh, I use basketball teams a lot as an analogy. Because, yeah. You know, I got to be willing to um, um, I got to be willing to surround myself as a leader with people who might be better than me because they're going to lift me and we're going to lean on each other's strengths. Um, and, and, I, and, and I think that's an important part of growth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. So I love using those analogies. But, um, you know, well, you know, if we play a role, uh, same thing with football and soccer. Well, if we get together sometime, we may have to – I still hoop a little bit, although you'd have to take it easy on me. I'm 58 <laughs> years old, so. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, hey, you never know. They say if you have a shot, you never lose it. 
So, <laughs> so I can't dunk anymore, though. Ah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm more of an inside player, so I'm sure you probably get me. Uh, All right. Well, you take you take it easy on me. <laughs> no problem. Um, let's get ready to to wrap it up here with the uh, ten most important traits of high performance teams, and then we can go on to where we can find the book. Yeah. So. Um, you, well, we'll start with the book. I mean, the, the easiest place probably to find it would be on Amazon. Um, so I would uh, I would refer you there. Okay. There's also, um, if you want to know a little bit more about the book, you can find um, uh, it at www.thebridgetogrowth.com. Um, that's probably the, the – and you'll, you'll see some things there like Marshall Goldsmith and a few other people give you a few uh, insights to the book that will be helpful too. So yeah, let's talk about uh, about leadership or, or about te- you know a key part of leadership, which yeah. is building building high performance teams, right? Yep. That's, uh, and, and we talked a little bit about this about leaning on each other's strengths. So as leaders, you know, in the old days when we build a team, we just kind of look around the company or the organization and say, well, let's just put the the best people on the team. Um, I think we're getting better now at at doing things like psychological assessments or behavioral assessments or um, you know, certainly performance matters, but but also what's the chemistry? Um, we don't want to put if we're building a team of, say, six people. We don't want to put six of the same kind of people on a team because they might follow each other over the edge of a cliff, you know, with a bad decision because there wasn't somebody there counterbalancing their strengths. So a, a really important part of it is making sure we're building teams of people that have complementary strengths for each other. Complementary um, strengths. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so the, the, um, in, in the, in the book, I talk a lot about this, that, that teams have to have to have a purpose. You know, a good example I use in the book actually is the 2014 San Antonio Spurs. You know, when they came up against the Miami Heat, a team that most people said was the best team ever constructed. Um, everyone thought the Heat would kill San Antonio in the NBA finals. And I, I'm not exactly sure what the margin of victory was. I think, <laughs> I think that San Antonio won like four to one or four to nothing. I mean, yeah, but I think yeah. the margin of victory, I think, was over thirty points. Yes, yeah, so uh, it was per game. It's a very painful, he, painful moment for me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. But if you look at that team, they didn't have a lot of stars. Yeah. But what they had was players that complemented each other's strengths really well and their weaknesses, and they, they they really stuck up for each other. And I think it made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So complementary parts. Uh, so that's. That's one for high-performance teams, not necessarily just getting all the best plays, but actually complementary parts. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so anyway, that's all about synergy. So, number one is synergy: team members that complement each other's strengths, weaknesses, and behavioral preferences. The second one is commitment. You know, the, the team members have to be fully committed to the team's success, and they got to be willing to sacrifice their egos for the good of the team. Really important. Um, the third is constructive contention, and this is one that I, I work with my clients on a lot. You know, the, the, the toughest challenges and issues have to be put on the table and debated vigorously. And, and, and team members have, you know, they can be passionate and unguarded, and everyone commits to and supports resolutions and next steps, even when consensus isn't possible. And that's one of the hardest ones I find for teams because we're raised, you know, a lot of times we're raised to, to be a winner and get our way. Or we're raised to not rock the boat, kind of two ends of the spectrum. Well, to achieve constructive contention, you got to have some vigorous debate, but you also got to be willing to listen and put yourself in other people's shoes. 
The fourth of the ten is accountability. Um, uh, even though, uh, you know, there's usually a designated leader, uh, team leadership should be shared and people need to step up at different times. You need leadership at, at all levels um, and, and people need to hold each other accountable. The fifth is all about purpose. Uh, the team develops a share, shared goals and purpose and core values that are aligned with whoever got them together. Whatever the stakeholders' needs are, they got to be aligned with that. The seventh is um, is um, uh, transparency. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The sixth one is uh, the team shares in rewards and, and 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 they're rewarded and they share in those rewards for achieving the goals. The seventh that I, I was about to bring up is transparency. There's got to be good communication and fluid. Uh, uh, communication, information shared openly and candidly. And, and, and in the digital world we're in now, that, that has become a lot easier to do. Uh, the eighth one is collaboration. The team members need to uh, have kind of a we are stronger than me attitude. It's kind of us against the world. And, and, and they're willing to break down silos and work across functional boundaries that are often erected in companies. Um, and, and again, proactively tapping into each other's strengths. Uh, the ninth one is um, uh, having a growth mindset, and this one's really important. Um, uh, it, it, there's got to be uh, a foundation of curiosity where team members are aware of each other's strengths and weaknesses, and they seek feedback that will help them improve their performance and keep growing. And then finally, the tenth one is ownership. The, the entire team needs to feel a, a joint sense of ownership for their collective results, and they, they behave like owners. Wow. wow, there you have it, the ten most important traits of high performance teams, and um, I couldn't agree with you more on those things. I love, I, mean, I love how they flow too. You know, you're talking from synergy to to the to the last very point, and they all have to work in tandem. Um, but I really do, I do want to th thank you for coming on the show. But before I, I do that, I want to give you some rapid fire questions and see if we can uh, uh, find out some more interesting parts about you. Go for it. <laughs> Favorite basketball team. Oh man, it moves all over the place. But oh. I'm a Purdue, I'm a Purdue Boilermaker, so go for it. All right, all right, fine, fine. Okay, then if that that you know, I'm the same mode basketball. So, but how about player? Favorite basketball player of all time? Oh my goodness, that's such a hard one. I have to go with Jerry West, but you probably Jerry don't even know West. who he is. The logo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I never got to see him play, so I just know he could he could shoot the lights out. Okay, all right, all right. Um, favorite country that you've worked in. I'd have to say, well, America. America? Come on. Yeah. Hey, the yeah. United States of America is my favorite exceptional yeah. country. All right. And then uh, best example of uh, servant leadership is who? Wow. I think Max Dupree did a really good job at Herman Miller. Max Dupree. I did not expect the Max Dupree reference. All right. Max Dupree. And uh, <laughs> the last question, which is the mission statement of this podcast uh, use your difference to make a difference. It's the essence of everything I do. It's why I'm committed to building the next set of global leaders. Um, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Actually, I, I starting up what I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a CEO because I found that I could help more people do great things by doing uh, uh, being a leadership consultant, and I'm enjoying every minute of it because I'm always growing and learning from the, my clients but I'm also helping them along the way, and that's a nice intersection. All right, all right. Jude, uh, Jude using his difference to make a difference as a leadership consultant and expert and really focusing on the benefits of servant leadership. Make sure to grab his book, The Bridge to Growth. It's going to be on Amazon. I'll put that in the show notes. 
But I do want to thank you for coming on the show. We'll make sure that we uh, we put all the uh, marketing elements to your book in the show notes so people can directly click on it from our website. But um, I want to thank you so much for spending the time and uh, letting us into your world and why you feel like this is such an important concept to be um, practiced today. Thank you for your time, Tao. Keep doing what you're doing. I, I love it. You're, you're making a difference and keep hooping. Thank you so much. Yes, keep hooping. Um, <laughs> Till next week, ladies and gentlemen. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 